Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we are going to talk to Derek Taylor, voice of the Blue Bombers, heading into Saturday's game in BC. Talk a lot about why the CFL playoffs could use a little bit of a revamp. Also, Murata Tesh of The Athletic joins us to tee up the Winnipeg Jets season opener against the New York Rangers. That's all coming up on the podcast. Let's talk CFL now as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are heading to BC Saturday, but one of the big questions is who's actually going to make that trip and play? Our friend Derek Taylor is at the airport in Winnipeg, ready to head west, and he joins us now. Derek, we know that Zach Kolaris is not going to play. Uh, other than the QBs, what do we know about the lineup? Well, we know the quarterbacks. That's the only thing we know for sure at this moment. Uh, well, we actually, we know Dietrich Nichols as well won't be. He's been dealing with a personal matter the last couple of days. He wasn't at practice today. They've officially said he is out for the game, but... Uh, there's a couple other spots that we'll watch. Uh, however, this game last year, they left seven guys plus seven starters plus Chenery and Grant at home. I don't think it'll be that many, but uh, there's going to be a few, probably including Stanley Bryant and Marcus Hardrick, if I had to guess. So would you recommend not wagering on this game? Uh, I, I would recommend having gotten in when BC was plus money. I mean, that would have been the way to go. Absolutely. But uh yeah, I, if you're going to, if you're going to consult it in that way, um, you got to wait to see what the what the roster is to truly know. The the quarterback's the big one, right? That it's not Kalaris who's going to be the MLP. It, it's it's uh, Drew Brown, and he's really an unknown at this level. Uh, so yeah, wait wait till tomorrow when the rosters are out. For the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, what is there to gain from this game? What experience is there to be gained, or is it simply just the Backups get some time, and heaven forbid they have to play in the playoffs, they'll be more ready. Well, then, and that's the thing, right? You're you're preparing for worst case scenarios in, in that case. You're to me, it, the whole season. It's great to be 14 and two. It's great to have the record you have and home field advantage in the West Final. But everything's about winning the Grey Cup, and what you'll need to win the Grey Cup is your best players in the best health they could possibly be in, because every team and every fan base has stories of injuries derailed our chance to blank you know in whatever year that was right so you have to get there and you have to get there healthy it, let's i mean this is my impression i don't know christian if you're the same but if if zach Kolaris can't play some for some reason in one of the playoff games the bombers are not gonna probably not gonna win like they're they're certainly not going to be the favorites uh in those games because Kolaris is such a difference maker so you have to get him to that game healthy Healthy one and sharp to me is kind of a, a secondary thing. So that's kind of the balance they do with everybody. And then as Mike O'Shea told us on the coaches show a couple of times, you have to balance that with, there's only so much we can do with the salary cap to get backups in there. But it's, it's nice to have depth players get some reps, but the hope is that Drew Brown in the playoffs never has to see the football, right? Because Zach just leads them to a third straight great cup. Now, Looking at the game from the BC point of view, obviously it matters a lot to them. They and Calgary both come in with 10-5 and five records. They each want to host the West Final against the other. So what are you expecting to see from this Lions team that really hasn't found any footing since Nathan Rourke got hurt? Yeah, it's not been the same, right? And then they, they compound that with more injuries to guys like Brian Burnham. Um, they're gonna, I mean, they're going to be full out because hosting the hosting that game it's going to be tough enough, enough for them to beat Calgary, uh, who in my mind is the second best team, but they, they've already won the season series and they're going to be going full out to, 
to win this one. What that looks like in a Vernon Adams offense, I'm actually curious to see up close and personal because it's a team that can run the ball in spots as big, dominating receivers. They've got some injuries on the defensive side of the football, which is good news for the Bombers. Uh, yeah, they, they have to, they're the opposite, right? They have to push to the very end to make sure they can get the best advantage for that West semifinal they can. Who do you think is going to host the West semifinal? If I had to guess, just for the fact that BC plays the the Bombers twice and the Elks once, and then the Stamps play Hamilton once and Saskatchewan twice, I got to believe that Calgary, even though they're, you know, a tiebreaker behind has the inside track just for the quality of opponent they have to face down the stretch. Like, as much as this won't be the the elite of the Bombers core tomorrow, it's still the still the Bombers, and it's still most of the Bombers. So looking at the playoff scenarios in the East, as we just do a little bit of a look around the CFL, Toronto wins, Montreal loses. The East final will be in Toronto. Montreal at least clinches a playoff spot with a win, and they'll host at very worst the, the East semifinal. After that loss to Ottawa on Monday, I was... I was, you know, knocked down three pegs in my head what Montreal could be because I thought Montreal might pose a threat to Toronto. Ultimately, does it really matter who hosts the East Final? Because I don't trust anyone in that division. No, I, I really don't either. I, I got to, I got snipped at on Twitter at one point by, by someone who said, stats don't mean everything. But I'm just going to throw this one out there. Uh, the, the Argos are the best team in the East. They've scored 17 more points than they've allowed. So 17 more points. They've scored than allowed. The Bombers, on their part, have scored 161 more points than they've allowed. Uh, teams that would be close to them. Calgary has, has scored 131 more points than, than they've allowed. You know, those teams are not close. If you just go straight points for and against over the course of an 18-game season, those teams are not close. And, yes, 2017 can happen. And, yes, 2016 can happen. La, la, la. But the, I just don't see anybody in the East that – with the Bombers going full bore or, heaven forbid, one of the other teams like the Stampeders. The Stampeders, if they somehow got to the West Final, would be, a, I would think, a big favorite in the Great Cup as well. And just for the other point differentials, BC's plus 110, Montreal's plus 2, uh, yep. Hamilton is minus, Ottawa's minus, Saskatchewan's minus. So any of those other teams that could get into that third spot in the East, and all three of those teams still mathematically can because it's the really bad division again. Uh, let's just talk about that too, because you've been a, a proponent for a while about just ditching the divisions altogether so we can get the best teams in the Grey Cup instead of the best teams in the West Final. Is this cyclical, or has it just been so long since the East has mattered that this, this is something the CFL should actually look into doing? I think the CFL. I think this would have been the year the CFL would have really had to kick itself if it hadn't happened, right? If if somehow Nathan Rourke got to the end of the season healthy, and this, of course, he's been out for a long time. But if we had BC coming to Winnipeg in the West Final, and then BC goes and hangs a fifty burger on Toronto in the Grey Cup, I think the CFL would have really had to take a look at itself. So they kind of get off the hook here. But by far, the three best teams all share the same division. And in a nine-team league, that's fairly embarrassing. Like To me, that's just fairly embarrassing. You can say, well, in the NHL, uh, three incredible teams or the Leafs have to get through, the Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning and blah, blah, blah. That's a giant, that's a giant league, and they can certainly do some of their own stuff too. 
but you know, generally their best teams get in there and they have it. I just, I hate that. I hate East Westing this. There's just no, there's just no point. There's just no point. Just give me the, give me the best teams. I want, I want a Calgary Winnipeg gray cup in Regina one, because the people of Regina will hate it. It's their two rival teams, but two, those first three games were incredible and they're probably the two best teams. There's no reason why. And to me, there's no price to pay to make that happen because name an East rivalry that, that it really needs to be, you know, needs to be, you know, uh, propped up quite so much. Uh, Toronto Hamilton. Sure. But then what do, what do I care? Montreal Ottawa rivalry people care about? No. And then, Oh, by the way, uh, I have a million points on this, as you can tell. I've been okay. ready for this one. We got time. Uh, well, what? Let me ask you this: what's the, what's the state of the Winnipeg Saskatchewan rivalry? Is it still, regardless of the results, is it still a good rivalry? Yeah, of course it is. Well, Winnipeg is a team that was was in the East. They were in the West. They were in the East. They're back in the West. It just doesn't matter what division they're in and what side of the playoffs they were in. These two markets hate each other, and it's beautiful that way. So. Toronto and Hamilton will hate each other, even if they're on opposite sides of the playoffs. And let's just reward teams who have great regular seasons instead of forcing them to go to Calgary in the first round of the playoffs. Part of that is because the CFL thrives in the West, right? And it, and it has been that way for a long time. So you're going to have naturally more fan engagement, which brings more meaning to a rivalry than the other teams, but it's also true that the teams out West are just better and they have been for quite some time. So, yeah. I mean, we're seeing this in, in other leagues too, or the NBA, once the playoff comes, they get rid of divisions altogether. Right. And yep. we're seeing in baseball next year, a completely balanced schedule where you're playing every team in the majors once. I still think divisional battles matter in, in sports. And I would still, even in a, get rid of all divisions thing in the CFL, you're still going to have Winnipeg play Saskatchewan three times a year. They should just do that, right? And Calgary play Edmonton three times a year. Do that. But when it comes to the playoffs, just have like the NFL used to do. One and two get buys, three plays six, four plays five, and you go from there. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, and if you want to say in that three plays six, four plays five, if you want to say, hey, uh, uh, an East team, gets the host. The top team in the East gets the host that game. Sure. I'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. So, so this year you'd get uh, at the moment, Winnipeg and BC have a buy. Calgary would host Saskatchewan. Toronto would host Montreal. Potentially Calgary would host Hamilton instead of, uh, you know, we're Saskatchewan would be the one team that would have to weirdly go on the road to Montreal. They might, it, it just, there's so many times where I go, yeah, you know what? What was it? Twenty was it? Twenty seventeen. Four teams in the West had a better record than the East champion. And you go, what? Are, what are we doing? What, why are we doing this to them? Let's let's reward good play during the regular season because you know Saskatchewan lumped lumped uh, Toronto probably a couple times in that regular season uh, and and had to go on the road to play them in their second playoff game. Come on, let's 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 make the regular season worthwhile. Because then Toronto goes and wins the Great Cup, and everyone's like, wait, what just happened? Well, and, and that's always the counter-argument. A miracle well, Great Cup win. Great Cup yeah. If, hey, any game where a team's going to score two 100-yard touchdowns, they're probably going to win that game, right? So that 17 win in the snow in Ottawa was the big fluke of all time. But it, it, in that, it's we just have to acknowledge, hey, a nine-win team won the Great Cup because a 15-win team had a much harder road to get there. And to me, that's not fair. Fair enough. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. 
Uh, why should Bomber fans care about Saturday's game? Well, I think you get to see Drew Brown, who is, what, 5 of 7 for 127 yards and two touchdowns this season. I remember back to week one and that three-play drive he, he orchestrated when Zach Kolaris got pulled out by the injury spotter. And you go, oh, okay. His little jump pass on the second one to Nick Jemski as pressure was coming. And you go, oh, this guy might have something in there. And a confident touchdown pass this past week. There, there's something nice in there. I, I like the thought of that. If you're a Manitoban, there's a real good chance we see Jeff Gregg in chance to play tackle. Hey, Manitoba Bison popping out there a tackle for Stanley Bryant would be pretty interesting. And you know what? You, you just it's another chance. It's another chance to see one. They're they're potentially setting a record for most right most wins in a season for the franchise. Right? They're on 14 with three other years. So uh, maybe this is a record-breaking performance as well. So what better reason? Plus, Doug Brown's going to be in his finest. So you got to listen. you got to listen. Awesome stuff. Well, appreciate your time as always, Derek. Have a safe flight, and we'll hear on the call on Saturday night. Thanks, brother. And we welcome on friend of the show, friend of the station, Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, are you going to get a lot of sleep tonight? How, what's your uh, pre-opening night routine like as a reporter? <laughs> You know, I imagine that question as a, is this going to be a kid before Christmas sort of situation where I'm anticipating, I'm so excited to get hockey underway that I'm not able to sleep. And there is a little bit of that, but I think a lot of the sleeplessness will be from just all the features that, um, you know, we're writing and kicking a high gear at this time. Now that the eyeballs are back, the focus is back. You know, all of these stories, uh, you know, are are all extra important because we have so much fresh stuff to talk about. Well, let's start with the news of the day, and that is that Dominic Toninato has been sent down on waivers. A lot was made of waivers during training camp about, you know, we're speculating who's going to be in the lineup. They put Jansen Harkins on waivers. They put Dominic Toninato on waivers. They lose Jonathan Kovacevic on waivers. What's your read on that move and what the, the lineup will be for the Jets tomorrow night? Is it what you thought it would be two weeks ago? Well, Getting a read on Rick Bonus has been one of the more fun challenges and joys of training camp so far and all of the run-up to the season. I mean, he's been doing things differently since the moment he arrived. First, it was changing the leadership group. Blake Wheeler no longer the captain. Then you saw Nikolai Ehlers promoted to the top line. Cole Perfetti on the second power play unit. Uh, there are all sorts of changes in that regard. And whereas you used to be able to count on waivers to tell you who was going to make the Jets and who wasn't. If a player could be sent down because he didn't require waivers, he could go straight to the moose, you, you could be pretty sure that he would be sent down. And uh, similarly, there'd be veteran players that Jets would be afraid to lose that way. Rick Bonus has done it differently. You know, Winnipeg lost Jonathan Kovacevic to waivers. Uh, I think they'll be a little bit disappointed in that. That's a player they hope to keep in the organization. They waived Jansen Harkins the other day. He was a Jet for the last couple of seasons, mostly um, and he's back with the Moose. Toninato, of course, has been waived once before. That was more of a cap thing. But there are guys on the edges of the roster that have been big parts of the Jets in the last little while, maybe not necessarily above a fourth-line role, but within the fabric of the team, that Bonus hasn't been afraid to waive or, or risk losing in the name of playing the way that he wants the team to play. And I think that that's a good sign, uh, a little bit of, of a new standard. In terms of the lineup, the season is going to depend on the same stars as always. The Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor top line is going to be so exciting. Josh Morrissey is going to be a key cog on the blue line. And, of course, Connor Hellebuck will be the difference between playoffs or not. He's that important of a player. 
it just seems as though the identity is shifting and Bonus is really willing to make decisions that we wouldn't have seen here in years past. And on the blue line, that means Logan Stanley is starting uh, at least tomorrow night. He made it clear that the other guys are going to play like Sandberg and Capobianco will be in the press box tomorrow. What do you think of that decision? Well, it's an interesting one to me, and I thought it was pretty funny, um, or at least noteworthy, I'll say that, when Bonus was asked point blank by Sportsnet's Sean Reynolds, hey, you know, what? Uh, what is it that Stanley has shown above everyone else, and why do you start with him? Um, Bonus hedged his answer. He said that Stanley was ahead in that race right now, and he starts in that spot so far. And there were those types of hedges suggesting that, Logan Stanley is getting the first shot at that sixth defenseman job and will play with Nate Schmidt tomorrow against New York on Winnipeg's third pair, but he doesn't have that job locked up. And Kyle Capobianco, who Winnipeg signed in the offseason, he'll get into games. Dylan Sandberg, who won a spot out of camp and who would easily have been sent down to the moose in past years because he doesn't need waivers, he'll get into games as well. And I think that Stanley showed poorly early on in camp. There were some real piles and piles of giveaways early on in his preseason. I thought even during the practices under pressure, uh, Winnipeg's forecheck seemed to be able to take the puck off of him. Um, And I think of a higher ceiling for a player like Dylan Soundberg, let's say. But at the same time, Bonus praised him. This is Stanley for his penalty killing, for his size, for his reach, uh, for his physicality as well. And I think that it's important for the Jets coaching staff to to look for that physical element and the PK-savvy element as well. And if Stanley can deliver that, he'll keep that job more often than not. But what I expect is that, just like Bonus said, everybody is going to get into the game. And my guess, Christian, is that by the end of the season, Dylan Sandberg is, is well ahead of Logan Stanley on the death chart. When Blake Wheeler was stripped of the captaincy, I think a lot of us figured Adam Lowry would figure into the new leadership group. He's been given an A in Mark Scheifele and Josh Morrissey also keep their A's and that's it. That's going to be the letter group at the very least. What do you think of that? And Rick bonuses kind of, you know, suppressing the idea of it by saying the whole room is the leadership group. Yeah, it was an interesting and almost nonchalant way that bonus confirmed that Lowry is joining that group who wear letters wearing that a with Morrissey and Scheifele. But he said, hey, you know who the leadership is in in this room or who the leaders are on this team? It's the room. And he said that there were five, 10, 12 guys who could wear letters. And he seemed to be saying, without saying, you know, let's not make a huge deal out of all this. I've got so many guys who are leaders. And it was a it was a nice PR move from Bonus, in my opinion, really doubling down on the quality of dressing room and relationships within the team. Because as we know, that's the sort of thing that we all questioned throughout the offseason based on what the Jets' own players were saying at the end of last year. And for him to double down on that, I think, is a good look. Um, you know, it seems as though vibes are positive, to be sure. And just to speak on Lowry for a sentence, you're right. I, I agree with you. He was the first thought for who could be added to that group. He's the sort of guy who's respected from top to bottom in the organization, from security staff to athletic therapists to coaches, players, everyone. You, you don't hear anything but positive words for Adam Lowry's impact uh, on the team. And I think that uh, he was the natural choice to step into that group. You're around this team a lot. Uh, what's just your feeling about this team's potential as we sit here on the 13th of October? Well, you know what? On paper, I I continue to carry a little bit of that 
skepticism, that holdover from last year saying, look, this was a team that could have made the playoffs but didn't and really came up against it in a, in a big way. Then they lost more players than they gained, at least in terms of quality, with Andrew Kopp going out, Morgan Barron coming back in, um, certainly uh, Brad Lambert's uh, the standout training camp will ease folks about the Andrew Kopp loss and coming over for that trade. But if you lose Kopp and you lose Paul Stastny and Morgan Barron and Sam Gagne come in, and that's really it uh, in terms of major changes, it's tough to project a huge surge forward. But then you go through camp and you, you look and see how much more organized the Jets look. And from our press box seats, you can look down and you can see the shape of the four check and you can see Mark Scheitz and Kyle Connor tracking back. And you can see their shift lengths go from a minute to 40 seconds. And all of, all of a sudden you're seeing a higher standard. of Jets. And I think that this team has every chance to make the playoffs. I have them on the bubble, probably on the outside looking in, but the tools are there, and if they respond to the tough parts of the season, this opening stretch, New York will be followed by a whole bunch of teams that made the playoffs last year. If they can get through that in a good situation, get punched in the mouth, so to speak, go through the tough times, and keep playing the right way that Rick Bonus has been able to preach and see results from so far in practices and in preseason, then you can start talking about playoffs. I think the human element will, will, will decide all for Winnipeg this year. Aside from the top line, which is going to be really good, it looks like, where are the goals going to come from? <laughs> Great question. I think that one of the bonus staples is to run his lines with very set roles. Adam Lowry, who we just talked about, well, he'll be with Mason Appleton and likely Morgan Barron tomorrow night and then early on in the season. That's going to be a checking heavy line. They're going to use a lot of defensive zone starts, starting a lot of shifts on defense, playing against the other team's best players. Don't expect the goals to come from there. So it's going to be about Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and Mark Scheifele getting on in the opposite of those situations, offensive zone draws, in transition, on the fly, um, and trying to take advantage of other teams' bottom sixes where possible. I think that those three players will be asked to carry so much of the offense this year, whether it's at even strength or on that top power play unit where they also all feature. And if you can sort of get a wash out of those, the big difference maker, because I'm expecting lots of offense from that first line is that second line. Can Blake Wheeler continue to produce at a, at a second line rate at this stage of his career, getting well into his mid thirties as he is. Can Cole Perfetti take a big step forward? It really looked like he was rounding the corner last year before he got hurt. He's been really good to me in camp so far, Christian. And I think that he's a a player to look for more from. And then with Pierre-Luc Dubois, who already had a great year, but maybe tapered off towards the end, it'll just be a matter of being his best self, you know, for closer to 82 games instead of 60. And if those guys can produce some offense as well, then you're looking at playoff possibility um, to go along with that top line scoring so much. Uh, and we heard from Rick Bonus early in the training camp about wanting to have more offense from the blue line. What do you see as the potential for that to happen with this crew? Yeah, it's interesting. That's a great point to bring up because it's a big focus for the Winnipeg Jets. And Bonus said, I think it was 24 goals wasn't enough from Winnipeg's blue line last year. And you know what? I looked at Dallas. They only got 30. It wasn't like it was a huge sea change, but that six goal swing could be the difference. You know, that's 
about a win. That could be a few standings points, depending on how you run the analytics on that. I mean, there's, there's points to be had if even that's the only improvement. At the same time, you know, I have so many memories of Winnipeg being down a goal late last season, and all of a sudden Josh Morrissey was playing an amazing offense-first version of hockey. He was joining the rush. He was adding a second wave of offense. He was attacking from the blue line, and we were seeing so much of the greatness of, that was put on Josh Morrissey's potential back when he was an early pick. Um, and I think that that has so much to do with coaching, how much encouragement they get in those situations. And Rick Bonus wants that type of play. And he wants that from Morrissey, from Neil Pionk as well, especially I think has a lot to gain. And so far, Winnipeg's forwards have been willing to track back and give them the coverage they need to jump into the play. You know, I would count on another, like a second straight season of top quality play from Josh Morrissey. And I know Neil Pionk took a bit of a step backwards last year, but he could be somebody who serves to benefit from Rick Bonus encouraging that offense as well, because he's quite a good rushing defenseman when he gets his feet going and, and, and is into the game. And all this talk about everything outside the net, I feel like we really haven't talked about Connor Hellebuck much this preseason, have we? <laughs> Almost none. And that's, that's incredible because I sincerely believe that he is still one of the very best goaltenders in the world. Uh, he had a down year in terms of save percentage and his goals against average last year. But it was another one where if you dig into the analytics and say, hey, where were the shots actually coming from? Or what was happening on the ice right before those shots? Connor Hellebuck outperformed um, his workload by quite a bit last year. He still saved more goals than the average goalie would based on what Winnipeg was giving up. If Winnipeg gets better defense this year, you can count on a rebound for Connor Hellebuck. And the other thing is, it seems like in his career, every time that he's had his back up against the wall, like when the Jets signed Mason heading into 2017-18, for example, when he's had those when he's had those doubts and those questions upon him, that's when he's produced his best seasons. So, yeah, he kind of does need a bit of a bounce back from last year. I think we can all expect it. And if he has anything better than a better than average season, uh, that's another reason to point at playoffs as a possibility. I'll get you out of here on this. Who scores the first goal for Winnipeg tomorrow night? Kyle Connor. It's got to be Kyle Connor. Well, it's the odds on favorite for sure. So not going out on a real steep limb there, but fair enough. All right. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, uh, you wanted a bit more of a gamble for me. Nope. Well, I'm going with the guy that doesn't okay. so well. Okay. Well, we'll see. I'm not going to put any money down at all. So I'm a coward. <laughs> so at least you said something. Rod, appreciate your time as always. And we'll see you in the press box tomorrow night. Right on. Thanks, Christian. Rod Atesh, you can find his great work on The Athletic. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you all.